we're diving deeper on the potential end of amateurism in college sports with our own Amanda Kristovich. Then we're taking a close look at the MLB uniform fiasco and the LA Clippers rebrand with UniWatch founder Paul Lucas. Plus, the MLBPA is not happy with a certain team executive. It's Tuesday, February 27th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. is falling on amateurism in college sports. Joining me now to discuss is front office sports reporter Amanda Kristovich. Welcome, Amanda. Hey, how's it going? Great, great. How are you on this, you know, ongoing series of momentous events in college sports? Well, I'm many things, but bored is not one of them. Let's put it that way. (laughs) I'm glad. If you were bored with this, then maybe find a new line of work. Um, Is pay to play here? Like, have we reached the point where college athletes are going to effectively sign contracts to play with teams that recruit them? I think the answer to that is yes. Um, with a couple caveats, if, if you'll allow me to just kind of break that down for you, please. Um, so the ruling on Friday in the Tennessee NIL case basically said that the NCAA is not allowed to enforce any of its, um, restrictions on NIL, any of its rules, its guidance, um, until the case is settled or until it goes to trial. And as you just mentioned, the upshot of that is that the prohibition on using NIL deals is recruiting inducements, right? Like the prohibition on players talking to collectives or boosters before they sign on to a program, um, you know, doesn't exist anymore. The NCAA can't enforce it. So yes, they're is now going to be pay-for-play NIL deals. Um, The first transfer window is in April that this will affect, and so we'll really see how it shakes out then. The the caveat I did want to mention, though, is that there are still state laws in place, right? And some of them have prohibitions on NIL deals being used as pay-for-play. So if you're in one of those states you still technically have to abide by your state law, even though the NCA can't enforce its own rules in that state. But I would imagine that legislators will be rolling back those laws because they're going to hurt their local schools recruiting opportunities for obvious reasons. Um, one and two, no one is really enforcing those state NIL laws anyway. So, you know, I think it's pretty safe to say that pay for play is here And I really don't see this ruling being overturned in the long run, given that part of the decision talked about how um, how much the judge in this case saw the merit of the lawsuit itself, in addition to saw the merit of the argument for this preliminary injunction. Right. That's one of the criteria I've learned recently for an injunction is that, yeah, the case has to have some chance of being successful um, for and so, it, you know, if you could say just a little more on the future of this case, do we know when we're going to get a final decision? And it sounds like that decision is going to be just a continuation of this ruling that uh, the NCAA can't enforce its own NIL rules. I mean, the, the case technically has a long way to go, right? Because um, it was really, it was filed like a month ago. 
And, um, you know, it could settle, it could go to trial, there could be discovery that could take months, right? Um, I think what will likely happen and that the NCA has already signaled it's considering is what something similar to what happened in the transfer portal case, um, which was that saying that the NCA can't enforce transfer portal, certain transfer portal restrictions, um, which was that when it became clear that the court was at least for a certain period of time going to, you know, prohibit the NCA from enforcing these rules, the NCA just threw up its hands and decided to change its policy at least for the rest of this cal, you know, not calendar year, but academic year. Um, so that the case will either be settled by next year, will have maybe gone to trial there, you know, just essentially giving clarity, at least for the blanket rest of the year. I think that might be what happens with this case as well. But as far as an ultimate decision, it could go all the way up to the Supreme Court, just like, you know, some of the other federal cases that the NCA has been involved, involved in have. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to drag it out as long as possible. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, so this could be a years long thing, but, but in the meantime, um, yeah, in two months or less than that, six weeks or so, we're going to have players that are going to be getting offers like from through routed through collectives, but essentially the same thing uh, that they're going to get paid up front or, you know, paid, you know, the, the, the deal will be up front for them to join a team. Um, and theoretically, this could be for any sport, right? This, you know, we're going to be focused on football in the near term, but if you want to recruit a gymnast, right, the same deal applies, right? Yeah, football, basketball, any um, any sport. I do not believe, if I remember correctly, that the uh, decision specified any sports. You know, I mean, the decision was really about this idea of negotiating for your worth. Because um, people will say, how did a, how could a court legalize pay for play? Well, that's not how they worded it. The way that they worded it was, you know, it's against our federal antitrust law to not let a player negotiate for his or her own value, um, you know, during a certain time period when not allowing them to negotiate is clearly um, prohibiting them from reaching what their or even understanding what their market rate worth is. What do you think this is going to mean when the transfer portal window? I mean, what was it going to look like on April fifteenth? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I've been going back and forth on this. I'm not sure it's going to be as chaotic as a lot of people would imagine. Um, <laughs> the contrarian in me that um, the longer I cover this beat, the the, the stronger that part of me becomes. Um, I mean, like, look, let's not be naive. Pay for play has been happening for decades. It was the bag men. It was, you know, the, the cash and the envelopes in the lockers. And then it was, you know, the NIL deals that were being negotiated, you know, against the NCAA rules. And now it's the ones that are going to be negotiated technically that are acceptable under these rules. You know, it's, it's always happened. And it's always happened on a large scale. And the amount of money that you could earn as a player has always been a factor in a player's decision, um, whether they're being directly offered something or not. So I, I don't know how much 
different the landscape is going to look than, you know, it looked during the last transfer portal uh, window, which was chaotic, right? I I don't think anyone can disagree with that, but I don't know that it's going to be measurably more chaotic given that this has already been happening. Just, you know, it hasn't been sanctioned by a federal court. Let's put it that way. And before we let you go, uh, Kyle Filipowski of Duke sprained his ankle when someone crashed into him when they were storming the court. The calls are as loud as I've ever heard them to ban court storming, not legal court, basketball court storming um, after uh, a game. March Madness is coming up. Um, do you think we're going to see a new rule here before the big tournament? Yeah, that's a good question. And honestly, my answer is a little bit more personal. So When I was a student at Georgetown, uh, we were never allowed to storm the court. And many of you may be thinking, did you ever have the opportunity? Yes, there were a couple games at Georgetown won, and it was really exciting. We beat Villanova while I was there once. Anyway, uh, the point is, is that the staff at the arena prohibited and prevented court storming. Like a, a minute before the end of regulation, there was like a small army of security that would sort of line the the parameter of the court and would prohibit the the student section, general admission, anybody from court storming. So it's interesting to me that this is being talked about at the level of a conference, at the level of, you know, the NCAA, when a lot of these arenas, you know, are some of them are campus arenas, some of them aren't. And it's really like an arena protocol as well. So an arena can decide to ban court storming in their particular uh, building. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's just interesting to me that we're talking about this on an NCA level when, you know, any, any security staff at an arena could prevent it from happening if they really wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. Amanda Christovich, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. The suddenly very busy MLB Players Association is considering filing a complaint against a Minnesota Twins executive for saying the quiet part out loud. In an interview with WCCOAM, Twins Executive Chair Joe Polad, nephew of team owner Jim Polad, said, quote, We're not going to go out and spend $30 million on a player right now. The players that are out there right now, that probably a bunch of fans are talking about, we are not in the market for those players. The MLBPA is considering action because saying that publicly may violate a clause in the CBA, which prohibits team officials from publicly discussing the market value or potential contract terms of an unsigned free agent. You might be thinking, don't executives do that all the time? And yeah, they kind of do. The line Polad may have crossed was saying an actual number. The bigger story here is it's not just the Twins. A lot of teams could really benefit from players like Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, and Matt Chapman. But whether it's uncertainty around media deals or just general fiscal tightness, most teams aren't opening their wallets. As of this recording, 19 of the 30 MLB teams project for lower payrolls this year than last year. That figure includes the Twins, whose payroll of $112 million would still be under last year's $156 million if they did go out and spend $30 million on a player right now. Ohio State wide receiver Marvin Harrison Jr. plans to enter the NFL draft, but according to Sports Illustrated, he will not participate in the NFL Combine, which began on Monday. He is also not expected to be at Ohio State's Pro Day, which is another chance for scouts to get a look at potential draftees. Doing the Combine is not as simple as just showing up. Players train specifically for that event for weeks, and according to SI, Harrison is instead focusing on training for the NFL season. 
It's a gamble, but Harrison was a Heisman Trophy finalist. He's projected to be a top five pick, and maybe he figures he has more to lose than to gain from being in the combine. What does his agent think about all of this? Well, Harrison doesn't have one. He's headed to the NFL one way or another, but he's charting his own path along the way. And we'll see what that means on draft day and beyond. Up next, MLB is still trying to handle the PR fallout of putting players in uniforms that look amateurish on the top and see-through on the bottom. Plus, the LA Clippers just redid their whole visual look from the logo to the uniforms. My next guest, Paul Lucas, co-founder and editor of UniWatch, is the perfect person to talk to about all of this, and that conversation is coming up next. Very excited to be joined now by Paul Lucas, founder and editor of UniWatch. Welcome, Paul. Happy to be here. So as listeners of the show, I'm sure are aware, the new MLB uniforms designed by Nike, produced by Fanatics, have a number of issues. Most notably, the pants are see-through with predictable results. Uh, on the scale of uniform disasters, where does this one rank for you? Um, if it were... If, if their pants were see-through on the field, this would probably be the biggest disaster ever. But what we've seen so far is off-field incidents, which is not nothing, you know, like that matters. Uh, but the first few spring training games have been played now, the first weekend of spring training games. And from what I've seen, this does not seem to be so much of an on-field issue. Uh, it is still embarrassing if it happens, you know, during photo day shoots or, you know, wherever else um, there may be bright lighting that seems to have exacerbated the situation. Um, but for now, at least, this does not seem to be an on-field issue. And so I would say if that, you know, remains the case, then it's not that big a deal. Um, people have pointed out that photo day, um, which is the annual day in spring training when every single player in camp has a portrait taken in a photo studio, um, that photo day every year has shown a degree of transparency in the pants. I would say it's not, hasn't been as bad as it seems this year, but, um, again, if it's not an on-field issue, I, I would say that, you know, we may be able to laugh about this part. Yeah, I mean, that's the MLB line is, you know, like they've been saying, look, this is basically the same as it's always been, which is, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Um, but but yeah, does that does that seem credible to you that they are that this is actually not that different from previous years? Um, possibly. Um, I'm, I'm less concerned about the credibility of what is said in, on this particular issue than with what I can see with my own eyes. And if I'm looking at a spring training game or any game and, you know, it looks okay and the pants, you know, seem opaque rather than transparent, then that's really all I care about. Um, and, and the rest is sort of window dressing, um, mm -hmm. or window undressing, if you want. <laughs> yes, so to speak. Um, <laughs> in terms of like who, who should be getting our, our attention for, for all this, um, would you point that laser toward, you know, MLB, Nike, Fanatics, some other entity? Who's a at fault of, here? A lot of people seem to, uh, fans at least, have uh, an axe to grind with Fanatics because of retail experiences they've had with them. Um, but this, these are not Fanatics issues. You know, it was not Fanatics who decided to change the fabric of the jersey. It was not Fanatics who decided to move uh, the Major League Baseball logo down on the back of uh, the collar. It was not Fanatics that decided to make the player name lettering smaller. Those are all Nike issues. 
um, or at least most of them are Nike issues. Um, it turns out that ESPN's uh, Sunday Night Baseball analyst, Eduardo Perez, said in a podcast the other day, and I only learned about this um, on Sunday, he said that the idea of moving the logo down was actually Major League Baseball's idea because they wanted to make it more visible because some players have long hair, maybe. It's not quite clear why they did He didn't say why they did it. And his statement was actually a little bit muddled. But the one unambiguous thing about his statement was that moving the logo down was Major League Baseball's idea. Uh, and I would say all of this, we're saying like, who do we blame? Who do we point the finger at? All this stuff. We're saying that and we're trying to figure out what's going on because there is incredible communications vacuum here that neither Major League Baseball nor their primary contractor, Nike, has had anything substantive to say about most of this. They've, you know, they've said, well, they're performance based and they're cut, you know, to be athletic. Like, of course, it's a it's a professional athlete's uniform. Of course, you want it to be performance based. But explain to me. Why did you move the logo down? Why did you change the home uniforms from white to slightly off-white? Why have all these changes been made, you know, specific? Like why these specific individual changes that people can see with their own eyes, why were they made? What was the thinking behind them? And there's just been an utter failure of communication in that regard. And that I find both surprising and frustrating more so than the changes themselves is is the the lack of explanation and communication about the changes yeah i mean we're in this era of unaccountability where just no one ever wants to say you know what we we screwed up sorry or or not even we screwed up just like yeah it was us like we did this thing here's why um yeah that's few and far between you get those statements in terms of all that stuff like the lettering the logo does anything stand out to you as the most offensive aesthetically <laughs> Um, I mean, the, the thing that looks weirdest is to me is the back of the jersey, um, the, because the logo is lower and the player name lettering is smaller. But literally a few minutes before I got on this this call with you, um, I saw that the Royals actually used larger lettering or what we would think of as normal size, like last year's lettering for the player names on the back, even though the logo was lower. So it's a little crowded, you know, like, cause the logo is lower. So it's now sort of right up against the letters at the top of the arch, you know, of the player's name, but it didn't look bad. And it looked a lot better than the rinky dink lettering they had been using. So it sounds like maybe they're trying to fix that or experiment with, you know, how does that look? Do we want to change that, change it back? Uh, it's a very fluid situation. Um, this, this is all sort of changing on the fly. Uh, but, and again, with a complete absence of communication, for example, the Royals or Major League Baseball could have said, we hear you, we're going to try something, we're going to, you know, you'll see the Royals today are going back to the old size lettering, and we'll see how that looks. Instead of just, you know, operating and leaving us uh, all in the dark, basically. And, you know, for fans and for people who care about uniforms, it's really frustrating. Right. Yeah. And I, I noticed that I saw the Royals thing as well. And it, my first thought was like, okay, yeah, that looks fine and normal. And, and yeah, if they if they just said something like that, then okay, I feel like maybe people would be more forgiving. They're certainly not being all that forgiving right now. Um, I would and, say the other uh, thing you, you asked what, what looks most egregious is so that's on the back of the jersey. And then on the front of the jersey, for teams that have um, the placket piping, you know, that's the two lines of piping that go up uh, on either side of the buttons. Uh, not every team has that, but for teams that do have it, 
that channel is much narrower, narrower. The space between those two lines of piping is, is much more narrow now. And again, no explanation for why they did that. Uh, and it, it looks again, sort of like the smaller lettering. It looks kind of rinky dink and it looks like, you know, a knockoff Jersey or something like that. And, um, yeah, I, I'd say that that's what looks weirdest from the front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the sort of language that players have been using too. They're a little bit like, you know, we're trying to get excited about the season here. Instead, we're, we're just like in these weird jerseys uh, that don't quite look right. Let's hop over to uh, um, um, jerseys that I think have been better received by the public. Those are the LA Clippers. Uh, so they just did a major rollout of they have a new logo, a new look, a whole new everything, basically. Uh, just what are your initial thoughts on, on the new Clippers look? Generally pretty positive. Um, you know, it's really unusual what they did. It, here we are. It's uh, toward the end of February, but there's still plenty of regular season, not to mention the postseason still to go. And they're rolling out their uniforms for next season. And that's not usually done. And I think their concern is that, you know, they're moving into their new arena next year. And they're worried that, you know, a construction worker or somebody is going to just post on Instagram a photo of something that includes their new logo in the background or whatever, you know, all the graphics around the stadium, all the signage. And they didn't want uh, a leak or an inadvertent leak like that to happen. And so they decided to get out ahead of it. And it's a pretty classic look that they're doing, you know, with the basic Clippers script. Uh, It's slightly modified from the version they used to wear in the 90s, but it's similar. and. it looks pretty good, uh, I, I think. It's it's surprising to me. I actually was caught off guard by how simple and straightforward this uniform set is because they are moving into a new arena. The arena is supposedly very high-tech and futuristic and all this sort of tech razzle-dazzle. And so I thought uh, that the uniforms would also have some kind of futuristic or hyper-contemporary look to them. And they really don't. It's, uh, it's a very straightforward, classic uniform approach and personally i'm fine with that i like that (laughs) yeah and as you say that i'm struggling to think of a sort of like techie futuristic look that that really clicked maybe you've got one you know on top of mind but i don't of one that like looked like you know kind of sci-fi or something and still uh and it worked um yeah yeah there's lots of them out there but they haven't always worked you know there was that era in the 90s when a lot of nba teams and and nhl teams too were experimenting with sublimated graphics you know you think of the 76ers with the you know the that sort of the shooting stars or the you know the the sort of fireworks kind of stars that they had um and and some other teams that had you know a little more um aggressive designs if you want you know in terms of their graphics and they weren't just doing cut and sewn uh tackle twill on the basic jersey fabric they were doing sublimation which is a a a process that prints the design into the fabric and so i could have seen the clippers doing something like that for for this uniform uh but Honestly, I'm a little relieved that they didn't. I'm just thinking about that. Are there, would you say there are like uniform trends that you're seeing generally? I mean, I know it's like a super broad question, but um, but you say, you know, describe it as kind of like a 90s feel. Um, are, are there other teams you see kind of leaning more back into that aesthetic? Was there, are we moving away from something and maybe toward what is now a kind of retro? Uh, I would say there, we see a lot of updated classic where teams take something from their past tweak it just a little 
um, and then sort of repackage it. And so like think of the Toronto Blue Jays who went away from their classic 1970s and 80s split lettering and then um, reclaimed it and updated it with a slightly more modern version. To me, that's the best example of a, an updated classic. Um, the Milwaukee Brewers did something similar, um, taking you know their old brew crew look um, and reclaiming it and their MB you know, ball uh, in the glove logo. Uh, so yeah, you do see a lot of that. And I do feel the Clippers are doing something similar by dipping into their, their visual history and updating it just a little bit, updating the color palette just a little bit. So it looks familiar, but it looks a little fresh. And, you know, that's sort of the sweet spot. I think a lot of teams are looking for, uh, before we let you go, um, are there, uh, I'm curious if you've got a sort of a, you know, a, a favorite uniform Jersey out there right now, or, and maybe one that's, you know, you, you hope gets updated soon. <laughs> um, I always say my favorite is the St. Louis Cardinals uh, baseball. I, I love the birds on the bat, even the way Nike has slightly diminished it this year, made some changes to the way the embroidery works. I still, I'm a, I'm not a Cardinals fan as a, you know, I don't root for them, but I do kind of root for that, <laughs> for that uniform <laughs> never changing significantly. Uh, I love that design. As for the worst, what is the worst right now? Um I mean, I've hated the Denver Broncos uniforms since they came out in 97, but that's going to change. That's uh, they're going to get new uniforms in April. So, uh, you know, I'll I'll be able to sort of wave that goodbye. Finally, uh, there's, there's certainly some other bad designs out there. Um, but, yeah, I'll be happy to see that Broncos uniform. There. All right. Sounds good. Paul Lucas, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. My pleasure. That's it for today. Subscribe to Front Office Sports today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer, or share this episode with a friend. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.